Folks, welcome back to the Anthony Gordon Show. You know, when we started the show uh, a few years ago and speaking to a bunch of folks that we were brainstorming with and trying to get a real finger on the pulse of what, what the, I think primarily the millennial generation feels. One word that was ubiquitous across the board in the world of social media, in the world of virtual friends, in the world of uh making one's self-worth synonymous with the worth that other people impute on us is feeling lonely, is feeling that they are all dressed up with nowhere to grow. And so it's an honor, pleasure, and very appropriately in the studio today, we have Gillian Richardson, who we're going to obviously touch on uh, during the course of our discussion, a certainly a loneliness expert and the timing could not be better as we increase the numbers of sticky eyeballs in social media and sadly at the same time increase substantially teenage suicides, increase the number of prescription drugs being uh, dispensed to millennials. Uh, it's a lonely world out there. So Gillian is a coach, a connection expert, and which we'll drill down and explain, an author, and it could not be a better timing. Gillian, welcome to the Anthony Gordon Show. Thank you so much for having me. So I think just for our, our listeners, can you give us a context of a little bit about how this evolved in terms of the, the this topic of uh, being a loneliness expert and just unpack for us a little bit what we, what, you know, what that really means. Yeah. So why I tell people that I am obsessed with loneliness is because like a lot of people, I I'm a wounded healer. Like the things that we talk about and the things that we especially make our career are the sure. things that we struggle with the most ourselves. And for me, like a lot of people, arguably most people, I grew up in a dysfunctional family mm -hmm. and love my parents. Like they do, did the best with the tools that they have, like all parents do. Right. And yet there were some big mental health issues and addiction issues in my family. And so growing up, first of all, I was taught that my emotions were not okay. Like, you oh. know, they're, they're kind of the three rules that you're taught in a 12 step group of what a quote unquote dysfunctional system is. And those rules for those who aren't familiar with them are don't talk, don't trust, don't feel. Yep. And that means you don't talk about your feelings. Terrible. You don't trust the way that you're feeling <laughs> and you sure as hell, you don't feel your feelings. And what that leads to is in my case, when I couldn't trust my feelings, I couldn't share my feelings. I couldn't be in my body and experience them. Uh, I was anorexic for six, seven years of my life. And I was also major, major overachiever, like the kind of kid who is having panic attacks and super stressed out, booked from morning until night, that kind of kid. Yep. And so when it came time for me to leave college and was on my own, I became really obsessed with this idea of finding people who would help me become the kind of person I wanted to be. And when I found those places, those events like meditation events and sober dance parties and summer camps for adults where you didn't bring your phone, things like that, I started a newsletter called The Joy List in New York City of yep. events where people can make friends. And an interesting thing happened where suddenly people were sharing their own experiences of loneliness with me. And I realized, and I wish everyone could have this experience that almost everyone around me felt disconnected in some way, whether they felt 
disconnected from their selves and their bodies. They wish they had deeper friendships. Mm -hmm. They wish they felt connected to something higher than them. And it kind of just felt like it was my calling. Like this is the thing that I need to focus on. So I always try, Julian, put myself into the mind and hearts of our listeners. Here's what I think that they're probably thinking. Firstly, what I love about what you said as an opening gambit, which is terrific, is your comfort and sincerity, which comes across saying, um, I really have to go through struggles, certainly not a Cinderella upbringing. But what I'm hearing is a, is a person who is um, comfortable discussing it. I don't hear in your voice bitterness. I, I, don't, mm-hmm. I don't hear shame. And kudos to you, by the way. For, this is a very important thing for our listeners that, that you're talking about it because I'm not only talking about it, which is in and of itself extremely therapeutic, but you are, you've broken through the don't trust, don't tell is a big mantra that the millennials have been told. And it's, and it's extremely dangerous because people uh, obviously at first is inside. <clears throat> and there becomes this notion that you have to be superwoman and you can't have any, which is not, which is, we all fallible. Mm-hmm. What was the moment that you, it seems that something must have happened where you were able to say one second, this is not okay. I'm bottling things up. There's so much about my childhood that screwed up. I got to, I got to either take this stepping uh, stumbling block and make it to stepping stone. Something was there a, a catalyst? Was there epiphany? Was there a, a moment in time? Well, of course, this is something that kind of happens over time. And I'll say that the the biggest turning point for me was I went to this thing called Camp Grounded, okay. which is it sounds kind of silly, but it's a digital detox summer camp for adults. So I think it's that's like great. Think, think summer camp for kids, but it's fully grown adults. You don't have technology. There's no substances. So everyone's stone cold sober. And I had never met adults because I went when I was, I think I was 22. So I just graduated college. I'd never met adults who were so open, so playful, so silly, so self-expressed. And it really shocked me. And it also made me sad to think Mm -hmm. I've never met adults like this before. And either I've never been in a context where the adults I knew would feel safe enough to be like this, or just yeah. these are people who they are in themselves enough to like play improv games and be silly and yell and be like a kid. And it just, first of all, it made me mourn for kind of these yeah. moments that I never had as a kid, sure. but it also made me see that the spaces I put myself in shape how I show up in the world and the people I surround myself with show me what is possible. It's amazing that because I think that what you're saying is for the first time in your life. And I just had a, a a guest a few weeks ago that you saw that people were real and that the people substance and it's okay to say, you know, Jillian, uh, I was an alcoholic and, and it doesn't make you an evil, bad person. It's part of, Totally. For anyone who feels like they're alone in their struggles, I super recommend going to a 12 step group, especially if you can go to one yep. in person, because those are the rooms where it's like the mask comes off and you see like people are struggling with stuff. And if people were honest, almost everyone around you is struggling with something. And there's just some people who either they've hit enough of a bottom or they have enough self-awareness to really go and be real. Like right. people are struggling more than, you know. Uh, the reason why I'm smiling, I, I, firstly, I completely agree. The reason why I'm smiling is twofold. 
there was somebody in our community that um, one of the um, the rabbis, if you will, in the community said, can you help this kid? I uh, was an alcoholic. And so for the first time, I, I was sort of this person's sponsor, mentor, whatever, through the 12-step program. And I went to the final session. I was blown away, Jillian. People standing mm-hmm. up, hi, my name's David. I'm a partner at whatever firm. It was raw, honest, from the gut of their, of their soul. And it was, it was so refreshing. And that was your one point. Your second point, which I was also totally resonate with, is in a lot of the, the, the talks that I've given, and certainly this, the TED talk, TEDx talk that I'm giving next month, is uses that sentence that every single person sitting in this room has pain, has something, has a thorn in their side. That's, that's the human condition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, the, and the notion that, it, that there's somebody else out there that is impervious to this is an optical illusion. We all really? We're all struggling. So you've taken your pain, you've taken your background, and f- to your credit, instead of saying, oh my gosh, if only my life had been the white picketed fence in the Labrador, that I wouldn't be doing this. It sounds like what you've done is you've taken that your package and this has become your life calling. Totally, completely. So is, if you had to say, if you had a, had a mission statement, Gillian Richardson, um, your mission statement is, and I'm making this up, is it to help people dispel, dispel the concept of work through loneliness? Is it to help people to make a real connection? Is it, tell me what the byline is, because what it, what it totally is going to resonate with our listeners. Yeah, completely. It's I'm always playing with this, but really I think what it comes down to is I like to help people connect more deeply to themselves and to each other. And I, I love having that umbrella because it allows me to think about friendship. It allows yeah. me to think about spirituality. It allows me to think about sexuality and dating, which I think is so fun to talk sure. about. All of these things connect because mm-hmm. if we don't feel like we're enough, if we don't feel like we belong, then we're going to struggle in all of those areas of our lives. I, have you had situations, Jenny, because I'm, I'm that when you speak to people, there's so many layers and they stay so freaked out and they so don't want, because people are going to think that I'm not perfect, that it, you know, it, 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 it's, it takes a, a lot of work to unpeel this thing. Completely. And this is why I really feel like, like one-on-one work with the coach is great. And I think groups are so powerful for this reason, because like I, I run occasionally groups for people who want to learn the skills to make friends and okay. I am the least important part of those groups, I think, because the biggest takeaways I hear from people are like, wow, I didn't realize other people were struggling with this. I thought I was the only one who was struggling to make female friends or to struggling to make male friends or to was feeling so anxious. I couldn't go out to an event. It's like, no, actually, all the people in this group are dealing with the same stuff. And it sounds like you you began, you know, uh, your journey, being a facilitator, newsletter. Before I might be wrong, but before the social media was like as insane as it is now, or is was it? Yeah, con- a little bit. I still started. I started producing events right after I left college, so Instagram was a thing. Right. Um, a little bit, probably a little bit less prevalent. TikTok definitely wasn't a thing yet. Right. Um. So yeah, it was a little less. How how has your thesis, your premise, your life? mission, if you will, how has that become more prevalent with the proliferation of, se- of social media with, I got to imagine 
millions of lonely people out there with curated mm-hmm. Instagram sites. Totally. It's, it's something that I feel like as I get more in touch with the things that I'm struggling with, it's, mm-hmm. it then transmutes into something that I work with, with other people. And so for example, I notice like I can get caught in a cycle of scrolling on social media for a long time. And maybe even like I'm dealing with a problem and I go to social media for help. And I'm, I notice in myself, oh, I'm losing the skill to tap into my own internal wisdom. I'm not trusting myself. I'm not trusting the power of silence. I'm going to my device mm-hmm. for either answers or numbing and noticing like, okay, I love talking about how do we connect to our internal wisdom? How do we connect to spirit? Like how I was, I'm, I am a member of a church and they trained me as a community minister, meaning That's someone right. who can, can be a minister to your community. Awesome. And I think that is such an important skill of leaders is, and I think this is why I love coaching too, is really the best answer will always come from the person you're talking to, not from you. I a hundred percent agree. You must have, Jillian, uh, you must have dealt at some point with people around you saying, Jillian, this is completely whacked. This is, insane. <laughs> you're supposed to be, a, aren't you supposed to be a lawyer, an architect? This is nuts. I've got to I mean, believe. I think this to myself too sometimes. I'm like, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> um, but really it's, honestly, this past week I was having one of those moments that I think everyone who works for themselves has of, what am I doing like this? Scary. It would be it so much very... easier if I just had a job. Like it would just yeah. be so much easier. And I also have the gift of every day, one, ironically on social media, but also by email and in coaching conversations with people hearing like, this is a real need. People oh, sure. need to be seen. People need to know that it's possible to have a deeper connection with themselves and other people and that they're not broken for feeling like they want something more. Speak to us for a second, if you will, uh, Jenny, about, uh, about your book, Unlonely Planets. Just, I guess, the byline, you know, how healthy congregations can change the world. I love the premise because it sounds like, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, you begin, begin with yourself and then your, content, your concentric circle grows a little bit to uh, a smaller group and and that becomes a ripple effect kind of thing. Totally. And the book actually, and this just shows like my evolution as a person, the original intention of the book was showing how there's a connection between young people leaving organized religion yeah. and the, if the rates of loneliness going up that organized religion for all of its flaws I, I'm can so give so many beautiful benefits of you're with the same group of people every week. You've got elders. If your house burns down, you've got a bunch of people who immediately are going to help you out. Like you've got such a rich network with, and it has all of these benefits. And so I break down in the book, like, okay, if that kind of community is not for you, for whatever reason, you're going to have to kind of patchwork quilt it together. And so each chapter is a different way. Like you can have intergenerational relationships. You can have healing sacred spaces. You can have ritual, like these things in your life. Because I think that's kind of one of the biggest ties to loneliness that I hadn't seen people, especially young people or women talking about. I completely agree with you. I I happen to have that kind of community. And I say to people, the reason I think uh, that it's dissipating and evaporating if I had to 
say in a sentence is it's not cool. It's not cool to have a spiritual thing. Why? Because unfortunately, mm-hmm. pop culture has imparted the notion that it's a crutch. These are weak people, which is which is exactly the opposite. If you're a strong person, you have the ability to uh, share, care, and show your, your warts and all. And I, and I do think that if if you don't have that, and I, and I like that, Jillian, it's terrific, mm-hmm. you've got to replace it with something if it's not going to mm-hmm. be a – and I, I, one of the things, and I say this very openly um, – because you know, I think the whole purpose of this podcast is to dispel, not to sort of perpetuate a lot of what pop culture is saying. Is that it's a tragedy that they've taken God out of uh, of the subconscious of people. How in heaven's mm-hmm. name are you supposed to wake up in the morning with a, with a purpose if there's completely no rhyme and reason why you're here? Sex, drugs, yeah. and rock and roll, and then you get eaten by worms. <laughs> I mean, that'd be a great T-shirt. <laughs> exactly. I want to, I don't know if you, I, since we didn't have too much time offline to chat about this, uh, I don't want to put you on the spot at all, but it's, I don't want to role play, but I want to get a sense from you. And this is a mm-hmm. tease for folks. because Obviously I'd like folks to take a look at your URL and your book, et cetera. When someone says to you, Jenny, listen, I want to speak to you. It could be one-on-one and just, just basically says, you know, I, I've got this feeling of sadness. I'm, I don't really feel I've got a, 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 someone I can turn out, turn to. There's this deep sense of loneliness. Do you have a methodology of trying to um, help it unravel or is it case by case or is it just getting the person to start speaking? Totally. Well, there's a few things that I would ask them at first. And a big thing I notice from folks, and I think we can all be guilty of this. I definitely can, is they'll say, oh, I need new friends. Like I need new people. And I'll be like, all right, before we really get dive into this, take a minute, write down the list of people who you already have in your life, who you, who you talk to. And maybe they'll write down 10 people, something like that. They'll say like, okay, how would it feel to deepen your relationships with those people? And they'll often be like, well, that's not possible. That's, that, that's just not what we are. Like maybe right. we've known each other since we were kids. Maybe we work together. I'll be like, all right, well, let's question that. Like how much effort have you put into trying to have a real conversation with that person? Have you given them the chance? Is it really mm-hmm. not possible to have a deep conversation with that person? Or have you never brought that level of vulnerability before? And so starting with the people who you already have in your circle, because we can't have that many close friends. So you might as well start with the people who are already there. And then say, maybe you, you want to have people in your life who support a spiritual practice, the people you already have in your life. That's not their jam. Okay. Then you think about where would I meet people who would support that part of me? Would it be a meditation group? Would it be 12 steps? Would mm-hmm. it be um, something like church? Whatever. How do you get over the stigma that I would think folks have of saying, I love what Jillian's doing. Obviously, she's there because she struggled through her own journey. But it's a little bit embarrassing that I'm going to go to a place and, and it's almost like I'm some geek looking for friends. What are I with bad body odor? What's, you know. You know, I'm sure this is not exactly yeah. totally. You, People have so much shame around it. Right. So how do you how do you deal with that person like Jillian? I'd like to come to the workshop, but if I if I if I if I show up, people think I've got no friends and I'm some geek. Mm-hmm. So what I would say is to know the statistics to say that's great. Statistically, if you walk up to a random person on the street, that person is 
desperate for connection. That person is yearning for friendship and you are giving that person a huge gift by being like, Hey, you're really cool. Would love to grab coffee sometime. Would love to, um, would love to hang out. Would love to have an afternoon and write together, whatever it is that you want to do with the person, because of course our brains are trying to protect us. They're trying to keep us safe. And so I think it's helpful to have that kind of logical part it's like, so for example, the average American has one close friend. I was going to say, can you share some of those stats with us? Yeah. The average American has one close friend. The average American hasn't made a new friend in five years. 75% of Americans are dissatisfied with their friendships. Wow. So when you look at those numbers, it's, it's pretty again. bleak. The average, the average American has one close friend. Yeah. You said that. The average American over the last five years mm-hmm. hasn't cultivated a relationship with a new friend. And 75% mm-hmm. of Americans, let's say the, the proverbial average, are mm-hmm. dissatisfied with, what is the end of the sentence? With their friendships. Wow. Am Not I to, great numbers. <laughs> terrible. Scary numbers. Jeez. Yeah. So what, you're like, we, yeah, if, if you go up to someone, chances are yeah. they're going to be so stoked that you ask them to hang out. Uh, okay, I'm going to ask the question. I'm sure. Where do you get the? Are these stats based on? I mean, are, are they well-known statistics that 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 are corroborated? I'm just saying because there's some there's some people driving down the four or five freeway right now. Yeah, they're, they're like, where the hell are these numbers from? <laughs> exactly. Totally. To be totally honest, I do not remember exactly the studies where these came from. But if you do a Google on these I'm stats, sure. you'll you'll have yeah. the the source where that came from. The okay. um the new friend in five years one that came out last year, and I am. I used to be better at remembering the names of these studies, but over the years, no, my friend no, doesn't but intu- hold them. Intuitively, uh, it makes sense. So mm-hmm. the, the other question that I was thinking as we were preparing for the show, brainstorming that people would want to hear is that there are a lot of folks uh, that would like to deepen a relationship with someone of the uh, opposite gender. And the it's important that you take the prurient interest out the way and understand that this is a soul. This is a person who's got uh, values and needs. I don't know if that is something that that is a message that pop culture has imparted at all. And and so that um, at least for uh, I think a lot of the young guys, it's a, a dangerous thing in terms of objectifying women and not thinking that this is a, a person that can not only be um, a, a soulmate, but it's a person that I can share deep things with. I think that's a huge problem. I, I, I think, I think it's worldwide, but I see it a lot with the young generation. Totally. And you're talking about in a romantic context. Yeah. Yeah. I, I see this in myself of is because TikTok especially is so interesting because it caters videos to whatever it is that you're paying attention to. Yeah. So whatever niche topic you're into, it's going to give you a lot of that. Yeah. And I get worried with myself because I get served a lot of videos that is women talking about negative dating experiences and women Mm. talking about like bad things that have happened to them with men. And like, on the one hand, it's like, yeah, when you're dating, don't be super Pollyanna, like no to not give your heart away so quickly. And like, know Mm -hmm. that people might have, they might not be super trustworthy at first. Great lessons. But I think it's bad for my brain to constantly be seeing videos of these like terrible stories and bad things that are happening to people. Like that's not priming me to be in an open hearted space 
right. when I do go on a date with someone like that's no, because they are, they are some, good. there's some very good guys out there that are very uh, mature, serious, and they are understand that, uh, you know, it's, it's about connecting with someone's heart and soul. You're right. But it, mm-hmm. it's, it's very interesting because you mean it's a sidebar, but it, the, the, the problem with a lot of the social media algorithm is it's going to feed you what you, what, you know, seems to be your pain point. And it can really yeah. re- reinforce it and you double down and, it, and take that your pain point becomes, you know, your it's just, it compounds multiple times. So it becomes a huge issue. I, I was talking to my therapist about wanting to write a series of articles where I interview healthy, happy, romantic couples about their lives yeah. and publish them literally just, even if nobody else reads it, even though I would love for lots of people to read it. Cause I think people need these stories. That's for sure. Like for, to tell my brain, these people exist. It's sure. possible. Oh, well, but of course part. that's, that's less grabby than the negative stories. It's yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't sell. You mentioned, and again, I'm not going to go there. Uh, if for any reason you're uncomfortable, but I, I know that I've counseled and I've tried to help, um, up to a point, but I think this is the area where a woman is much, much better suited than me or, or any guy. Um, but any eating disorder issues, be it bulimia or anorexia, which seems to be, I mean, statistically seems to be more prevalent in women than men, is at least a part of this is what the pop culture, the world is saying I'm supposed to look like. And I don't look like that. And therefore the delta between what I'm supposed to look like and, and in my mind's eye, what I don't <clears throat> is the cause of this huge pain. How, I, I, there's, there's definitely are young women right now listening to this podcast and they will get, they're going to, in their mind's eye, you're a hero because you are, you say very sort of matter of fact articulated that this is for several years um, one of the issues that, that you work through and there's no question that it's, it's very prevalent. And I think there's a lot of women don't speak, don't trust are holding us in. Yeah. What's your advice to, um, Lisa K she's on the freeway. She's 19 years old mm-hmm. and she's, she's, she's heard your voice and there's a tear welling up in her eye mm-hmm. and she feels like, wow, she gets me, but she, I know she wants to speak to you right now. What do you want to yeah. say to her? Oh, this is gonna make me cry. <laughs> this is gonna make me cry. No, I think, but I know because I think what you're doing, just because yeah. there's certain things that are not cool to speak about, but I'm the exact opposite. I'm saying, you vicariously by saying, you're gonna be okay. I was there. Um, I, I came out the other side. That in and of itself mm-hmm. is gonna give people such comfort. Totally. And what I would say is, the things that were the most helpful to me because. People will ask, you know, like, well, what was the thing that got you through? And there was like no one day where I was like, I am healed. Yeah. But honestly, I think the most helpful thing was to learn about systemically why this happens to women so often. Yep. Like there's a great book that you can read or listen to on audiobook called The Beauty Myth by Naomi Campbell. And she talks about why so many women face eating disorders. And that's a little part of the book, but she's mostly talking about systemically why it benefits companies for women to be so obsessed with their appearance Mm -hmm. and to think about like, okay, how much time and energy was I spending for years tracking my calories, working out, planning my meals, 
going through eating disorder forms to just like get inspiration for mm. not eating food. Um, and like to think about what systems am I benefiting by doing this? And right. we're benefiting fitness corporations. We're benefiting the diet industry. We're benefiting the makeup industry. But it's like, it's not just an individual problem. Cause I feel like that feels like there's a lot less power and there's a lot more like, Oh, there's something really broken about me. And right. to think <clears throat> I am a part of a much larger problem. Yep. And one, one little story I'll give is one time I was at um, a weekend retreat for women and there was a woman there with her teenage daughter. I was probably 24. Her daughter was maybe 17 and her daughter's name was also Jillian, which I oh, found wow. was really cool because <laughs> it's, it's rare for me to meet another Jillian. And I don't know, I just hung out with the teenage daughter over the course of the weekend. We weren't talking about body image stuff or anything. And like, there was a dance party and I was there and I was like in a sports bra and my like workout leggings. Uh, and I'm like a mid-sized woman. I'm like a size 12 ish mm-hmm. for what that matters. And at the end of the weekend, the mother came up to me and she was like, I don't know what you did, <laughs> but you changed something in my daughter. Like she just the way that you are in your body, you just existing has helped her. Wow. That's heavy stuff. I, I was blown away. Cause I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like I was just being me. And even just the fact that being a size 12, which is by the way, the average size of an American woman is between a size 12 and 14. So it's not like I'm even out of the ordinary in my sizing, yeah. just existing and being happy in my body and like not talking about diet stuff or exercise. Just that that was enough. But <laughs> it's like I, I, I it's insane that the, that the the uh, the role model, the picture is so whacked. It's so off the mm-hmm. charts mm-hmm. that that uh, I, I also feel, and whether it's anorexia or a lot of the other things that I'm, you know, I speak to folks about. I also think it's the more you feel better about yourself, the more you're at peace with your internal world, the more your self esteem evolves and matures. The less some of these challenges will be prevalent in your life. And it's filling a void and saying, one second, I'm not a body. I'm a soul. This is my values. It just, it seems to take the focus off the optics into being more holistic. Completely. Like I gained weight during the pandemic, like most people did. And I think if I was in the stages of my eating disorder, it would have spun me out. I would have lost my mind. But now I'm just like, no, like my body changes with yeah. time and it'll change more mm-hmm. and like, I'll get bigger pants. <laughs> <It's> not <laughs> and not freak out about it. That's amazing. That yeah, that's amazing. But it's, 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 it's also, you also, I think you, the innuendo is that, um, is that you are not the shell, <laughs> you know, he, he, you've built a substance, you're a person. And that the more that that person becomes robust and filled and this is clearly is a big spiritual part of you. Um, the less that you, you, you live or die by the shell. Completely. And for that teenage girl, who's like, yeah, that sounds lovely, but people still see me like my physical body. People still see Mm -hmm. it. I will say I have had the best romantic and sexual relationships of my life at my heaviest weight. Like your weight does not Mm -hmm. dictate the love and respect that you get. And I'll actually say that I was treated the worst by men 
when I was mean? at my my most aesthetically pleasing because I had my lowest confidence then. Yeah, yeah. The the notion of this whatever this objective it continually gets perpetuated by the marketing and the advertising industry. Um, doesn't that doesn't that upset you? Doesn't that doesn't that doesn't bother you when you see these billboards or I don't know what whatever? And it just means that some other vulnerable teenage uh, kid during their formative years is just going to get a completely whacked out message. Totally. And it's interesting that you say that because I think I've, and I have not even done this consciously, it's been very unconscious, but I've surrounded myself with people who don't talk about losing weight. They don't talk about calories. They don't talk about diets. And so now when I'm around people who mention something like that, it feels like a record scratch moment. It's so jarring. I'm like, oh man, I forgot that people do that. Yeah. Or they're like, oh God, like I look fat and this, whatever. And so just to remind people like, yes, that stuff will always be out there and you can bring people to you who don't talk like that and don't think about themselves like that. And while there is a lot out there, I think the less credence you give it, the less you notice it. So you started doing something that I'd ask every single guest. So recently we added on the advice of whatever our marketing folks, a tagline and that says the Anthony Gordon show tagline. Uh, lessons for life that I don't that I did not learn at Harvard, and I, and one of the things I want to do on every single show, someone like yourself who definitely has wisdom, and there are the the kinds of things that for, for sure that I don't teach at Harvard. If you could just give to our listeners two nuggets, two little pearls of wisdom that they can take with them on the journey of life, probably a product of your pain, probably a product of you. Uh, the vicissitudes that you've been through and that you want to make sure that other young women don't go through a lot of the, the, the pain and the anguish that you probably went through. What would they be? Those two life lessons that'll become. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I guess going, going off of what we just said, one would be yeah. no matter what shape and size you are, first of all, you are lovable mm-hmm. and also someone will love you. Like yep. you're beautiful and someone will see you as beautiful. Yep. And also I would suggest to notice when you have black and white thinking. Mm -hmm. And by that, I mean, if you find yourself saying, I never know how to make friends. Women are never nice to me. It's always going to be hard for me to make friends. Just something that feels so finite. Yeah. Be like, okay, if I'm saying something like that, there is some deep examining for me to do because nothing is ever that black and white. Like, what am I gaining from not allowing myself to think that something else is possible? Brilliant. Okay. I want to add one more piece. Fantastic. Jillian. I think it's the one piece I, if you could just share with us um, to the, to the listeners that are out there that are lonely, which Mm -hmm. is, which is the majority. um, What would you say that they can do to shift gears to try and, and they say, okay, I'm, this woman is great. I resonate with her. She's not saying that life has been all peachy, which by the way, is very, makes you very real, which is, I can see your sincerity comes across. What can they do to try and say, okay, I'm not going to sit while I'm self-pity anymore. I, I listened to this podcast with the children. She's resonated. What, what can I do from tomorrow? So one thing I think that would make a huge difference is to reach out to someone who you already know and be like, Hey, I'd love to see you more regularly. How do you feel about having dinner every other week or every month? Getting something in the calendar and being yeah. brave enough to ask for something consistently is great. probably the best way to one, 
remember that you have a social network around you because there's stuff in your calendar, but also to let the people in your life know that you want to go deeper with them. Yep. And by a function of spending that time together, you will deepen those relationships. Beautiful. So as the curtain comes down and it's fantastic, I really enjoyed this, Jillian. Is that one thing I try and ask every single one of our guests? And before I do that, where can where can folks learn more about you? Your URL, your that'll get yes. You know. My personal website is thatjillian.com. Is and dot, uh yeah. that Okay. And the Joy List, which is my New York City newsletter, is joylist.nyc. And if you're an Instagram person or a Twitter person, I'm that Jillian on both of those places. And the name of your book again? The name of my book is Unlonely Planet. Okay, so here, fantastic. The question I ask every single guest before they leave and you've given us fantastic life lessons and you've been a, a terrific, terrific pleasure of a guest is, it's very telling this. If you could spend 15 minutes alone with anyone in the world, dead or alive for that matter. It doesn't have to be a famous person. Who would that person be and why? I, I, I know I did this to people that are so oh, like anti. Oh, oh. Why, why don't you tell me before you put me on the spot? Uh, everything was going so well on the show. Everyone thinks that I'm, I'm, I'm so wise. And now you, <laughs> and there's no right answer. Yeah. Okay. The, the name that just popped into my mind. Yeah. Um, there's this guy named Justin Baldoni who he, he's from like Jane the Virgin. And he also talks about masculinity yeah. And I think doing something with him, like talking with him about working with teenagers, because I really have this desire to work with teenage girls. Yeah. And I feel like doing something with for teenage girls and boys with him would be such a blast. I would have so, so much fun. Okay. So we'll, we'll, we'll begin to do our best. Uh, by, <laughs> we'll get that to Justin. By, by pushing this out. And thankfully we got yeah. uh, quite a robust uh, listening group right now. So hopefully yeah. that will, will he'll, 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 he'll get the message to him. Julian, it's really been a pleasure. Continue doing your great work. And I think that you are really the voice vicariously of millions of people who are lonely. Um, the fact that you just recognize it, articulated. And I think the fact that you're saying, you know, I wasn't exactly born with a silver spoon with, you know, the, the Brady Bunch perfect kind of background. And here I am. I think it's very comforting. I think that people can empathize with it and, um, you know, just continued good things. And uh, again, we'll, we'll hopefully we can drive some eyeballs to your site and um, we'll hear a lot about it in the future. Thank you so much for having me and the opportunity. I appreciate it. It's our pleasure. Cheers. Cheers.